Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Danny in the Valley. Just a quick programming note before we get started today. In last week's show, I promised you two shows this week. I have to break that promise. My intended guest got sick. Tis the season. But fear not, it is Christmas after all, and I can assure you 100% that next week we will be dropping two episodes before we take a little Christmas respite. So I wanted to leave you with a little something extra before you, everybody disappears into uh, full Christmas party mode and getting turkey coma and everything else. So we will be doing two shows next week, and then we're going to be taking a, a, a short holiday break for Christmas week and New Year's week. So we'll be off two weeks and then back, and we'll kind of keep the party going then. So do keep your eyes and ears out for those episodes next week. And the other thing, of course, give us a rating. It helps your fellow man and woman find the show. So please take a moment, click on some stars, maybe pen a few words. It's the best way for the show to keep growing and helping me find interesting folks like this week's guest. Yo, technology, what is it all about? It's this last bastion of privacy. Your brain. Yeah, and yet in 50 years, I can't imagine humanity not existing as a connected set of brains. And how are we going to make those steps? Like, if we have it, we will use it. The AIs won't beat us because we're going to become smarter. Hello and welcome to your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. This week, Mary Lou Jepsen is on the program. And Mary Lou is one of those people who just makes you feel bad for how little you've done with your life. So she was one of the founders of the One Laptop Per Child campaign uh, back in the day. She was head of augmented and virtual reality at Facebook. And now she runs her own company called Open Water, which is working on a new device. Basically, the goal is to make it possible to see deep inside our bodies for one thousandth, one thousandth of the cost of an MRI. And ultimately, to be able to see inside our brains as well to read our minds 
seriously. It's wild. Now, some of you may recognize uh, her because she was featured in our other pod, Tales of Silicon Valley, in the Brain episode. But we'd covered so much interesting ground that I thought it would be just a pity, a crime even, to not share the whole conversation with you because it really is fascinating and it'll just give you a sense of where this technology is. She says it's a lot closer than we think. You can judge for yourself, but I do think you'll really enjoy this conversation. So here she is, Mary Lou Jepsen, founder of Open Water. Enjoy. What is Open Water? What are you doing? You have the floor. Medical imaging is how we detect most diseases. The price of a scan hasn't budged in decades. My life was saved because I finally got a scan in 1995 and they find my, found my brain tumor. I was a PhD student in physics and I was really sick. I was so sick, I dropped out of the PhD program, utterly defeated, to go home and die. And a med school professor sprung for the cost of an MRI. Suddenly you were just... Not suddenly. It took about 17 years for the tumor to develop, and I'd been sick for since really I was 13. I was 29 at the time. Oh, my goodness. So I was living in a wheelchair, sleeping 20 hours a day, body full of sores, massive, massive headaches, couldn't move half of my face. I drooled, almost as if Novocaine had been applied at the dentist. And so I could deal with that. But then I could no longer remember how to subtract, and I didn't think I deserved a PhD in physics. And so I just was defeated. You gave up. Yeah, I gave up. I couldn't win. In fact, I couldn't win. The MRI that a generous med school professor paid for uncovered my brain tumor. I was thrilled. Everybody else was mortified. I was like, great, a diagnosis. We can do something about it. 30 days later, I had had my brain surgery, recovered, petitioned to get back in to my PhD program. And I'm not proud. I admit it. I used the, I had a brain tumor excuse. And everybody uses that one. I know, it worked. And (laughs) I finished my PhD six months later with two other students, got $4 million to start my first company. I've been running like hell ever since. Um, But it always stuck with me that I would have died without access to that. Because an MRI costs what? It depends which country. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, around $1,000. It it's, depends if it's subsidized and so forth. In the U.S., it's an 80% gross margin business. It's the profit center for hospitals. So 50, 80%? It generates $50 billion of revenue a year. So we're actually making a decision on, on for example, breast cancer. We know MRIs better for detecting breast cancer for half of the women that have dense breast tissue. So they're only detected at stage three and beyond with mammography. We could choose to give them MRI scans, but we don't because we want the 80% gross margin. So it's a actuarial decision to let women find out they have breast cancer late. But let's just, you know, change up the whole thing. So what am I doing in open water? Lowering the cost of medical imaging to see inside of our bodies by a thousandfold at scale and putting it into a portable with no x-rays, no gamma rays like mammography has or CT scan. Using components that we can make, that we're making right now in the trillion dollar consumer electronics supply chain. 
not existing components. I'm a chip designer. Yeah. So we've designed new camera chips, new ultrasonic chips, and a new kind of laser that lets us see deep inside of the body with, with resolution. Right now, some of our scans are exceeding the resolution and perhaps more importantly, the image quality of existing multi-million dollar MRI systems, the system that saved my life. And this would be instead of like a giant, people know what an MRI looks like. Yeah, it's, it's like a big a, two-ton magnet with a hole in the middle, and that's where you lie and you get you, you lay on this tray and they slide it inside. A lot of people are claustrophobic and don't like it. Children have a tough time staying still, and people that are obese can't fit inside of it, so they get CT scans. CT scans are responsible for, depending upon the study, between 3 and 12% of the cancers. The medical imaging system itself causes the cancer because of the radiation that you're right. exposed to. So when you talk about turning that giant machine into a portable, what does that portable look like? It's interesting. This I design hardware, yeah. and so, but I don't style the plastic housing and figure <laughs> out the ID in the UX. The hard yeah. part of putting a room-sized piece of equipment into a portable or a wearable is actually the technology. So we haven't hired our designer yet to you style it. You don't have your it. Johnny Ive yet. <laughs> right. And <laughs> and I've worked with some of the best designers in the world, and it, it's too early. And, and, and yeah. um, But it could be a ski hat. It could be basically almost like a bandage. Or it could be more like something the size of a, a smartphone where you scan over your body like a, almost like a wand. Um, right now, what we're working on is a desktop system that allows us to make changes. And so it has a tethered wand and, right. and a, a slightly larger optical playout. But, you know, it could fit in ambulances and things yeah. like that. Like right now, it's, there's $10 million cost ambulances with CT scanners in them. There's maybe 100 of them in the world because the leading cause of disability in developed world countries is not getting a scan fast enough after a stroke because there's basically two kinds of stroke. A clot-type stroke blocks blood flow or a hemorrhagic-type stroke bursts. And so you can burst the clot or clot the burst with a drug, but if you get the drug wrong, the patient dies. And today that means access to a CT scanner as soon as possible after stroke. And so people that live in cities can walk and talk after strokes. People that don't, can't. I never had a conversation with my grandfather because he had a massive stroke prior to my birth. Where are you in terms of the technology? Is it, I mean, have you done it, so to speak? And now it's a question of kind of bringing it all together and productizing it, or where are you in that journey? The company's about two years old. We now are scanning live animals, rats, at a secret undisclosed location in South San Francisco um, (laughs) to make sure that we can scan. We're using infrared light and sonic pings and finding the tumor in the rat or or buying whatever's on sale at at the Safeway a couple blocks from here and Kobe beef and scanning that and seeing how well we can do or scanning phantoms in our systems so we can optimize the... You're actually like buying some, I don't know, some chicken breasts? Yeah. From the... Kidneys, (laughs) pork. Right. Whatever's on sale, right, actually. Right. <laughs> We're literally a block from a safe yeah, 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 yeah. So whatever's on sale, to test our system, to see how well we can do. We also create phantoms. And in fact, we're even starting to work with a company that's growing um, organs and saying, great, grow us some organs because we, we just need canonicals. So 
Yeah. We're in animals this year, humans, we think next year. When you're making a medical imaging system, you've got to go through FDA, you've got to go through clinical trials. What our first products are, we're still determining, but R&D doesn't require FDA. So, you know, there's lots of areas where this can be useful as soon as next year in terms of early product at small scale as we prove ourselves. So that's like... Maybe veterinary, um, maybe it's you know helping drug companies develop drugs more quickly because part of it is this cost structure of yeah. knowing if it works. I mean, ultimately, you don't have to die of things if you can catch them early. I've talked to some companies who talk about how they can detect stage zero cancer using right. machine learning, you know, just like they can find the needle in the haystack before the human can. Right. And if you do that, then it's not like you're taking a Tylenol and everything's fine, but it's just much easier so we have that with blood tests. There's some genetic stuff that we're starting to make sense of, but it's, that seems like a long road. But, you know, it's been a while, so hopefully and the cost has gone down a lot. But medical imaging hasn't. <laughs> and so why, if we can see inside of our bodies, stage zero, like we have, all have cancers all the time, but we're, our immune systems are able to kill them. So what you want to do is watch. You actually, if you could do a scan every day or every week, you'd care about three things. Is it getting bigger? Is it getting smaller? Is it staying the same size? You probably only act in case one. If you're in cancer treatment, you'd be interested if if it was getting smaller. Our technology also can allow us to deliver, for example, chemotherapy drugs or other drugs to local parts of the body without it streaming and bathing through the rest of your body. So in a chemotherapy situation, maybe you don't have to, you know, lose yeah. your hair or, yeah, yeah. or, 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 um, go, through the, <laughs> or go through the pain of, of the, the, yeah. the extreme pain of yeah. it was a year of work as well. But, you know, like Angela Jolie literally cut off part of her body because she had the BRCA gene. We could someday make a bra that people with the BRCA gene could wear and find out if there was an issue and get it treated Because early. it can non-invasively just scan. Yes, with just near-infrared light and sonic pings. So can we talk about, so how does it work? How does it work? So there's three basic keys to how it works. Okay. One is that our body is translucent to near-infrared light. You know this if you've ever been outside in a dark night and cupped your hand over a flashlight. You see, yes, it's a, it turns red. Red light goes through, right. right. And near-infrared light goes through even better, but you can't gotcha. see it. Right, but right. it's benign near-infrared light, less than we're exposed to on a sunny day. The problem is that light scatters. People have used near-infrared light for medical Im- imaging systems for like 100 years. Everybody thinks scattering is random. Here's where my physics PhD comes in. It's not. (laughs) Not if you can record the phase of the light. And the phase of the light is like if you imagine an ocean wave. Is Mm -hmm. it the peak or the trough or somewhere in between? That's all phase means. The phases of the moon. You know, like is it full? Is it... It's um, just an, an arc. And so you can do that if the pixel size of the camera chip we record on is the size of the wavelength of light. That's been true for the past five years for all of humanity that has a smartphone. The pixel size is the size of the wavelength of light. So we can record the phase. It's possible if we just pull off the color filters Mm -hmm. that record the camera pictures that you take with your smartphones. There's usually a little 
piece of jello that's either red and let's yeah. say red through a green or blue and red green and blue makes so called color you pull them off and you record and you optimize the camera chip to give very high transfer of infrared light they call okay. it quantum efficiency but basically for all the infrared photons that come in you get a, a high signal and so that Got means you. you make the layer of silicon a little bit thicker that's all happened in fact most smartphones are doing something called 3D sensing to sense if it's your face, yeah. not a picture of you, yeah, yeah. or ultimately to so enable... Face ID, basically. Yeah, face ID. But really, the, all the money was put in place for next generation virtual reality and augmented reality. And the big money maker so far there has been Pokemon Go. So basically, we mm-hmm. have this technology because Pokemon Go did so well. <laughs> and so this well, is funny. for Pokemon Go++. Plus plus. Well, it's funny. A lot, of the, a lot of the people we have, I feel like a lot of people I have on this podcast talk about what the smartphone has done for their businesses that ostensibly have nothing to do with smartphones. But it's just this whole miniaturization of everything and this whole huge supply chain. Like we can make all of this really highly specialized, very powerful stuff really cheaply. Right. So millions of these kinds of camera chips are shipping every single day. Right. For about a year now. But a couple years ago, I knew that was coming down the pike because I was in, t- in charge of advanced development of VR and AR at Oculus and Facebook. Right. And I thought, whoa, maybe we could do so something so much bigger than VR and AR. We could transform medical imaging and change the way we both read and write our bodies and brains. And so I left it to, to found this gotcha. company. I've founded other companies. It's yeah. not a new thing for me. I like startups. But yeah, so so we record the phase of the light and we scan out the body by focusing these ultrasonic pings that we're, we, we can now make ultrasonic chips in silicon factories. We focus down the ping. The light is scattering everywhere through your body. The light yeah. that goes through that focused ping of ultrasound changes color. Gotcha. Changes so color. you have one chip shooting light into the body. Or just a fiber. It could just be just a fiber brought in, snaking through, and just scatters everywhere. Okay. And then we take a chip, we focus the ultrasonic sound down, and the light that goes through that focus changes color. Just like the pitch of a police car siren speeds changes as it speeds past you. Yeah, yeah. Right. The Doppler shift. Doppler shift. Yeah. And so we use that, and we also then color change uh, what's called a reference beam so we can beat or interfere or make a hologram of the light that went through that ultrasonic ping and filter out everything else because that creates these ripples. It creates these, they call them fringes, interference, and the other light that doesn't get shifted in color doesn't. It's sort of like we're looking for a ripple on a sea of unshifted light and we decode that on the camera chip it ends up looking like, if you remember this iconic picture of X-ray diffraction from um, the first picture of DNA that Rosalind Franklin made, um, she decoded that structure to reveal the actual double helix for the first time. She right. didn't get credit for it, but you know, now she has. Yeah. She's dead. <laughs> um, and so what we do is decode that structure um, on the camera chip, but much faster than it took her. So we can do that. It's... The technical term, it's basically a Fourier transform, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, math, 
We just do math on it and decode it and get information about that. And then we move the sonic ping to the next stop, bot and the next spot and the next spot and we scan out and it's instantaneous. the body. Oh yeah, we can do yeah. up to a million times a second, maybe even faster. So right now we're going slower though. Right, right. So basically you're using infrared light and sonic pings to render on a very, very, very detailed level right. what's happening inside the body. Yeah, the we're tissues. yeah we're scanning at about a half a millimeter resolution right now. We've shown I showed live on stage at TED going down to a micron. MRI is about a millimeter to four millimeters, so we're better in terms of resolution. We're really right. focused on image quality. So when you're seeing images inside of your body, it's all they call it a signal to noise game. Right. So you want less noise, more signal. Last month we uh, exceeded the image quality of MRI for certain scans. Right. So we're working very hard on on where we go first based on the image quality we're getting for various organs. And right. So basically depths. it's a better MRI miniaturized. It's kind of like the iPhone of MRI. Maybe. Although I'd say, you know, your iPhone is pretty darn expensive. It like, is. <laughs> it is. There, I know. So I, I started a project in 2005 <laughs> called, um, it's a sketch called the $100 Laptop Corporation. I do want to talk about this. I think this is fascinating. We lowered the cost by yeah. 10x. We're talking about lowering the cost by a thousandfold and the size by a millionfold. And that's, you know, that's like, sorry, but bigger than an iPhone. I mean, yeah. I had smartphones way before the iPhone came out. It was a nice instantiation of the iPhone with a lot of, a lot of functionality mm-hmm. that didn't exist before. But, you know, we did have like, laptops that did True. that yeah True. It's, it's smaller and stuff, but, but it made a lot of money and right. so it, it changed many people's lives especially with the software application but the hardware i'm not trying to diss it but touch no, no. screens was around f- for a long time yeah yeah things. well so and the next step beyond medical imaging i've seen you talk about this kind of brain computer interface sure or kind of so, telepathy so that's existed for the past decade basically courtesy of graduate students in neuroscience trying to get their PhDs. So if okay. I throw you in an MRI scanner for an hour, I can tell you got a tumor, a clogged heart, or you know, things okay. like that, which yeah. we can act on. If I do it for 10 to 100 hours, recording your mind reacting to podcasts like this yeah. or YouTube videos, I can then predict what words you're about to say, what images are in your head. You can predict what I'm going to say. We can more than predict, infer it, I think, um, using basically a data store of your mind's use of oxygen, which is what fMRI does, which is the basically video version of MRI. You use the oh, same okay. machine for right. fMRI. So if I just rec- if you lay in there for 100 hours and, you record, and listen video to your podcasts, yep. all of them. Which would be, your mind would just be a light. That's right. <laughs> so much. And then the computer would make a dictionary, if you will, of, or an atlas of how your mind reacts to different words. A data set. A data set. And then using the tools of our time. Algorithms. Neural net with back propagation. Right. Um, when you start to think of new words, the computer can guess what words they are, or word clouds. As has been shown now for a decade, just across the bay by uh, by Jack Allen's lab at UC Berkeley and many other places. There's a Japanese group that threw graduate students in the MRI scanners and let them fall asleep and then woke them up every couple of minutes and say, what was your dream about? Wrote it down, made the correlation of the pattern. You can dump your dreams to your computer. The grainy versions 
it's kind of uncomfortable to lay in an MRI scanner. I don't yeah, know if anyone's say, been in them. It sounds I, like a machine gun going off. Yeah, yeah it's noisy yeah. and sort of uncomfortable. I also nap in them because I have to do them every year. Yeah. To well, we can talk about the, my radicalization <laughs> by um, being a participant in the U.S. healthcare system. <laughs> but oh, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's ridiculous. I have it to is. prove every year that I still am missing the part of my brain, even though there's actually not a single recorded. Is that really true? It's really true. <laughs> I'm a cash cow of the U.S. healthcare That's industry. Incredible. <laughs> We're called chronics. We're 5% of the right. population. You have to show that your me- part of your brain that was removed hasn't magically grown back? Every year. <laughs> okay. Or the chemicals that that part of my brain right. used to make but no longer make that I need every day to live are withheld. <laughs> yeah, how depressing. <laughs> it's why I became an entrepreneur, though. Because yeah. I was going to be a multimedia artist, but then I, you know. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I was doing physics. And I was designed a, designed a system to project video on the moon. And, oh, my God, I had, like, MTV and all these sponsors for it. And I was you were going to project as, video onto the moon? Yeah, I designed a system. And then, you know, I got the brain tumor, and I came out. And I'm like, you know, I really need health insurance. I better, like, get serious and go get a real job. And, you right. know, like, you have to. Because it's the U.S. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. sorry, that's just sorry. I know. I've lived in the U.K. for a long time, so I know the very well the differences. Yeah, not most other countries. Do. Yeah. But the the fact is, three quarters of humanity lacks access to medical imaging. But back to telepathy, you know, like you could say, stop the telepathy. There's profound legal and ethical and moral issues with it. Say we do shrink this to a ski hat. Yeah profound what that can do for brain disease, which is the most expensive health care for every country on the planet, if you combine neurodegenerative disease with mental disease. But you could say, nope, we don't want to use this on, on our brain. We are committed at Open Water to our systems only working with consensual use from adults. But, you know, four questions. We make the ski hat that replaces the functionality of fMRI with not just grainy images, but we increase the resolution, the data store, the hierarchical understanding Creating of the Creating that brain. data set from your brain. Yeah, because yeah. you could wear it for, you know, it to th- the cloud. a thousand hours. Yeah. Well, it, or it, you can keep it on a, you know, hard disk in your office if right. you don't want to have it in the cloud. But there's a lot of issues right now with privacy from social media and so it's this, new just, thing. this just this just ups week. it yeah. by 100x because you know it's this last bastion of privacy your brain yeah and yet in 50 years i can't imagine humanity not existing as a connected set of brains and how are we going to make those steps like if we have it we will use it the right. ais won't beat us because we're going to become smarter i mean 100 billion neurons each with 100,000 different connections it's a pretty complex tool for creativity. Um, and we have, each of us is, are different and how do we communicate together. Right now we're all like Stephen Hawking. Like literally we have talking sticks. I talk, then you talk. Yes, and like yes, there's yes. just this stream of words that come out. Mm-hmm. Babies, you just told me you have a baby. Yep. They don't think in words. What? They think in images and audio. What if we could dump everything going on in our brain out? Like what if we had instead of this talking stick, what if we had a shared little whiteboard where I showed the images and words I was thinking, you, yours, and maybe your audience, if they were alive, could participate, Mm -hmm. and then we'd realize, wow, that person's thinking, let's talk about that instead. This is boring what we're talking about. Like, 
what if that could happen in a meeting room, like any meeting? I was just in an all-hands meeting, 20 people. I'm the boss, so I'm talking, but you know, I might have not have had the most yeah. interesting. Maybe somebody had a bone to pick with me, but was being polite and, you know, just be really great. We turned filters on, so it wouldn't be like what I had for breakfast. Oh, I'm hungry. When am I going to go to whatever, go get the errand done? Like we could just filter those things out and just see the part that was relevant to work. But this is just like you could go on for hours about all the implications here. Because even just that idea of filters, because obviously people are thinking all kinds of stuff. You it's know. called creativity, though, right? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's how things bounce yeah. together in your mind. And so this idea is, uh, you know, Elon Musk is the kind of the probably the most well-known AI doomsdayer in terms of saying it's summoning the demon and all of this stuff. But he's also working on things like Neuralink, where, right. he's, where he's said publicly, but nothing's happened yet. I don't really know what's happening there. But, right. you know, basically, we're not that far from every human having superhuman capability or just being plugged in directly to AI. And I don't really know how that works, but that seems to be what he is talking about. And I don't know if that's similar to what... It's interesting because I go to a lot of these neuroscience conferences. Like We're the only ones doing brain and body because they're made out of muscle and fat and blood and bone. And we can't distinguish between body and brain. And there's this huge unmet need in healthcare. But we can also get the brain with our system. But I go to these, these... conferences on the brain-computer communication more than interface, brain-computer communication, and everybody else is doing implants. In a world where cardiovascular disease with solids in our bloodstream is the number one cause of death, I suggest it's going to take some time. (laughs) And it's not going to hit a billion people in 10 years because there's some major issues. But I'm the only one of them that has had brain surgery. Hardest thing I did in my entire life, by far. I just don't see people doing elective brain surgery in the next decade. In a few decades, maybe. But in the next decade, you know, if I've got full-blown Parkinson's, bring it on, you know, whatever. Alzheimer's, right, great, do it. But I don't see it happening for us to augment ourselves and make ourselves better in the near term. So certainly where we can make some meaningful progress. But, you know, look, mental disease. There's a study released about a year ago Mm -hmm. in in the, the, the U.S. fMRIs of people with clinical depression were pulled together from, I think, five hospitals. Yeah. Showing that you can tell from the fMRI what kind of depression the person has and if it's getting better or worse in a precision way. Because right now, what we have is DSM. You literally answer these questions to see if you've got depression. One of the questions are, are you sleeping all the time? Do you have thoughts Another of suicide? Is, have you, you're right, do you have thoughts of suicide? Have you gained weight? You yeah. know, and the, the, you answer yes to those, you're clinically depressed. And the way that you find out if you're getting better is you start answering no to them right. based on the therapy. But what if we could actually move that? I mean, it's a huge, huge thing, just mm-hmm. just clinical depression. Could we move that with scans that would enable us to see the progression, what kind, you know, diagnose more precisely what kind of depression the person has and if the therapy is working or not? Is it getting better, worse, or saying the same? Right, and you can diagnose that by basically monitoring what is happening in the actual brain itself. With an fMRI, you could do it right now. The going price for those in San Francisco where we're sitting is $18,000 a shot. I mean, an MRI here is $12,000. You can't afford to do that 
every week or every month to monitor somebody that's clinically depressed. We decide yeah. it's too expensive. Although it's very interesting. I was at a big conference in Vancouver called TED a few weeks ago, and even billionaires are cost conscious. There was a facility (laughs) there where you could get a full body MRI scan for $2,000. Oh, so like and lots of them were doing them. You know, yeah. one millimeter resolution in the head, four millimeter in the body. Yeah. And as much as people are saying, oh, a medical imaging is used too much, if you're a billionaire, you want to know if you've got stage one or stage two. For and sure. I think everybody's going to want what the billionaires have. We want to find out how disease works. We want to find out how our minds work. We could say we don't want to know how our minds work. It doesn't feel like that's the direction of travel, though. We can make laws against it. China isn't, right? China no. right now has a million construction workers wearing hard hats with EEGs in them. And those workers have been told their thoughts are being read. It's not actually true. EEG isn't that well good. Ostensibly, they want that so the construction worker is focused on their job. But the construction worker just thinks they have to think good thoughts. So China has said what they intend to do, if you extrapolate, with brain-computer communication already. <laughs> Dystopia realized. Or are they, they say they're protecting their population from the social media kind of you know, garbage heap. Right, right. By making right. sure they only get safe content. But they so, have a point. <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely. But, so, but you do think that this, the eventuality of, if we were sitting here 20 years from now, you and I, yeah. potentially wouldn't even have to speak. But we could still communicate. Yes. Would we use language? You know, you're probably a words guy. I'm (laughs) I'm an engineer. (laughs) I did art. You know, I think in images. Right. My typical day-to-day or week-to-week is working with engineers who do not speak English as a first language Mm -hmm. on whiteboards all around the world trying to figure out how to solve physics and engineering problems. And so what we do is diagrams and equations on whiteboards. It takes a long time to debug because somebody's like, no, you're wrong. And if I can just get an engineer on the whiteboard, I'm halfway there. Yeah. But then I just wish I could just go and dump the image that I see, the full image, and then they could say, no. I'm like, oh, okay, what about, and, or somebody else. And they're just so much faster, so much more efficient to be able to figure out, because it's very hard to put, like the engineering physics concepts into words that everybody can understand because those words have like this precision. Like we have words like polarization that means something in optics or coherence, which means a very specific thing about lasers. And it can be an impediment. I know what coherence is. They stick together. And like, well, yeah, yeah, that's true too. But like, you know, like we, like it's just imprecise and it's better if they could just see the image in my head. And could you imagine creative people, like, think, you know, down in L.A., like, being able to dump, you know, a movie director wakes up and um, has had a dream. And this wanted, is my vision. Yeah. Can we change what we're going to shoot today? Here's a rough cut. Ignore the girl in the nightgown. That's me. You know, like, whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you have to edit out. Just for the yeah, close yeah. team, like, just ignore that. You know, you forget about that. You're all NDA. Yeah. You know, like, whatever else was in the dream <laughs> you don't want to admit to. We might have to actually deal with what we actually think and understand it. But why wouldn't we? Because we don't want to be that. But maybe we have to define what we are. I mean... Well, that's what's so interesting now. Like right now, Facebook and Google, all of a sudden it's like they're 
in this huge arms race to show how private they are, how respectful of privacy they are, which is kind of a complete reaction of what's been happening the past decade, let's call it. So Especially since 2016. Exactly. Yeah, Brexit. And exactly. We got a new president, which we were all surprised about here uh, in San Francisco. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And so, but it does feel like that is a, there is a kind of this pivot toward privacy. Who knows how long that'll last, what direction it'll go, but it does feel like it's kind of a bit of a reckoning. The world that you're talking about is like that times, I don't know what the... I'm saying it's inevitable. It's absolutely inevitable. Because if we can see inside of our bodies and that muscle and fat and blood and bone, we can see inside of our brains. We can make laws against seeing inside of our brains if we want to. We can only see inside of our brains for certain cases like brain disease. But, you know, the flip side is you do have, you've got the national academies of most every developed country on the planet saying of the top five things you can do as a technologist, understanding how the brain works yeah. is on that list, somewhere between one and five. So there's a lot of effort being poured into it, European Brain Initiative, the White House Brain Initiative. There's all of these, these, this work going on. It's kind of like the final frontier. Do we want to understand yeah. how the brain works or not? We could say, nope bury head in sand. How long will that last? Can you imagine the curiosity of humans not? No. It might take longer, but given with existing multi-million dollar fMRIs, we're getting grainy images. And with the hierarchical understanding that's being developed, because right now it's just looking at oxygen, fMRI looks at oxygen use millimeter by millimeter in your yeah. brain. And I've seen that video that you've used. 
Yeah. And it's it's grainy, but it's also kind of unbelievable that this is just based on oxygen happening in your brain. Right. And then you see the video that the person is watching on the left, and then you see what the fMRI is producing, and it's yeah, it's the same. It's just the right is more grainy, and you're like, what? And when you imagine an image versus seeing an image, the same areas of brain use oxygen. Right. And so that means you could literally dump grainy versions of images in your head today. If we up the resolution and the data store and add into that, you know, like we, I should live on stage that we could, we could read the state of a neuron, not just mm-hmm. the oxygen use. What about adding in these different modalities? Where are we going to get to? I think it's going to come a lot faster. I think a lot of people think, yeah, that's grainy now. I think what's going to happen is maybe the first products will be grainy. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, it's going to hit people, whoa, these are really good. What about the data store? What about the privacy? So it's really great that we're having this discussion about social media right now as the brain-computer interfaces are coming to market in a few years because it's baked in to everybody's thoughts on what, what we do about, you know, those four questions I ask, like can you, the police make you put this on? Can the military make you wear this thing? Can your spouse make you wear it? Can you put it on um, the head of your teenage kid when they come home at 3 in the morning and you want to know what they were doing and where they've been? And I think the answer is... Because you can see their thoughts. Yeah. I think the answer is no to all of those questions. But it's not... But they're questions that will, right? And there is questions. We will make it only work consensually for all users. Like the user has to wish to share the thoughts. But those are questions that will have to be answered at some point. I mean, when I first saw this work, the work you were just talking Mm -hmm. about with the grainy images with the MRI scanner from the UC Berkeley system, I'm just the next thought I had is, oh my gosh, this is happening in Guantanamo Bay with the so-called terrorist prisoners Mm -hmm. that don't have rights after the Mm 9-11 bill. I don't know if that's true. I just know the Defense Department has poured a lot of money into brain-computer communications. I don't know why. When I talk to them, and I have talked to them, they say, you know, a commander, total important thing in in a theater of war is if the commanding officer knows the command was understood and received by the soldier that gets it. Right. I can see that being super important. I yeah, totally so you don't can. have that bad game of telephone. And the other thing is I've met with generals who, who the, their number one issue is that a couple dozen veterans are committing suicide every single day. It's brain disease. They want to solve that. It right. just kills them. So, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be this nefarious, like how is it being used to yeah. extract people's thoughts that are suspected terrorists? It could also help on those fronts yeah. as well. And I guess my other question is, how would you and I share those? In other words, would, would I have to have a screen next to me that you could see? In other words, if, we, if we're sitting here and we don't need to speak and you can, I can kind of, as you say, kind of dump my thought out, where th- would that be? I think it might be like these shared whiteboard tables, but initially, but eventually, yeah, read, write, which means, you know, what happens to education? <laughs> you put a little brain hat on and Shakespeare is dumped in and... Get Ta-da. to carry that with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, I, you know the, yeah. that that has the, such profound. I mean, one is sort of privacy. The first and the read. If we're talking about writing thoughts, that's free will, mm-hmm. and so we're actually decided to hold off on that and not enable it in our systems. 
I don't. But Someone we're the most. Will. We're yeah. the only brain computer communication company that. We're also doing medical imaging, and we're going to yeah. do the medical imaging first. But the same thing can be used for any part of your body, which is why we talk about it. We're really focused on mm-hmm. the medical imaging right now. But we're the only ones that talk about it openly. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I can tell you why I talk, why the others don't. Why do you talk? Uh... It kills me how much great work I've done at large corporations in the world that I couldn't talk about that will never see the light of day because even though they were killed for various reasons, it tended not to have anything to do with the technology. Um, Most tech projects don't fail because the technology is bad, and I would like to see the technology live on. The other side of it is the most successful project I've ever been involved in, I've co-founded with my much more famous co-founder Nicholas Negroponte and he'd go out and just talk about doing this crazy thing to get a laptop to every child in the world and we made it work basically the hundred dollar laptop the hundred dollar laptop yeah I was designed the hundred dollar laptop brought it to mass production and Nicholas um was the CEO and co-founder and um just Oh my God! He had an incredible Rolodex, and he used every like mm-hmm. did it right before he. I think it was pretty much his, his last full time job. Um, he's now semi retired in his mid seventies, um, but you know, doing just amazing. Every time I see him, he's just doing all this. He's not yeah. retired at all. Um, <laughs> he just tells people that. Yeah. Um, but you know, he just it was amazing. He figured out the business model. Like, how do you do it? You work with heads of states. And ministers of ed- education to distribute to the laptops to children because we could make them cheaper than textbooks over five years at that time. Now we can make tablets for 20 bucks a piece, which is just a no-brainer. And how did we get that done? We went out and talked to everybody about mm-hmm. it. They thought we were stark raving mad, but we kept talking because you get the criticism. It's, you design in the open. It means you create competition, but who cares? Like, compete to save the world. Great. Let's yeah. go. And so I started Open Water with that. I mean, there's open in the name to sort of, let's just get this done. You know, VR and AR is a slow slog. It's great that these manufacturing processes exist because of some pushes there. But the cost of an MRI scan hasn't budged since it saved my life in 1995. It's gone up, actually, because the profit margins and the business models and so forth. Of course. Three quarters of humanity lacks access to it. Let's get it done. So we, yeah, I talk about it. And, and how do you solve the ethical issues that we're talking about, given that our, our brains and bodies are made of mm-hmm. the same basic ingredients, without admitting there's a problem? <laughs> step one, right, on the 10-step <laughs> problem. <It doesn't>. Yeah. <laughs> what is the solution? First, people have to then believe it. So you talk about it. People think you're stark raving. We're showing the stuff. The, the yeah. physics are solid. The engineering is solid. We'll start to show our latest images of rats. And people are like, great, that's rats. Show us with humans. What's the, what's the ID mm-hmm. look like? What's the form? Like all of these questions we'll, we'll expose, but we you know, expose answers to as we walk through it. But I think every month since I started the company, I've given a public talk about where we are. And the reason just being like, hey, this is happening, this is progressing. This yeah, is, here's where we were yeah. two and a half years ago. Here's where we are. Um, because, A, you, you get the crazy people of the world to beat a path to your door. And I mean mm-hmm. crazy in a good way. Like, 
we're alive, right? I take a dozen medications a day. If I don't get one of them, I die. (laughs) So, you know, I look down that bottle of pills and like, what do you want to do when you're alive? You know, so this seems like a pretty good mission. And then, and then, oh my gosh, management is so easy because most engineers, you know, like literally at some companies, like PhDs in electrical engineering, literally their job is to move the connector 3.7 three millimeters to realize the new design idiom of the right. smartphone and maybe it might be fun for your first job out of getting your PhD but you know that's probably not why you slogged it out yeah and so what can we do with our talent to transform humanity and in a positive way and yet there's some implications here that are pretty profound and could have profound potential for misuse yeah and so we try to have a public conversation about it and progress. And I've met with tons and tons of ethicists and groups working on this. Each one of them wants to be the person, the group in of charge course. of the ethics. And of like, course. actually, and they all tend to be in London, Boston, or San Francisco. And actually, I don't <laughs> think those three cities are going to dictate the future of brains. But yeah. you know, they certainly want to, you know, we need other parts. And of are the world. you, in terms of what you're doing, there are others. Yeah, they're billionaires' pet projects. Yeah. We're a venture-backed startup. It's gotten close to $30 million in in finance. So we're like the only one that's not a university research group or a single billionaire funding it on a long-term effort. And that's because we're not just doing brain but, but body. Body, right. And I wish they'd talk more about it, but... How do we make them feel comfortable talking about it? Yeah. Well, Elon Musk in particular, I mean, he's hasn't helped by just beating this drum of AI's the end of humanity. That kind of he says that with some regularity. At least an existential threat to humanity. That's how he Vince, why is he doing driverless cars? Because oh, well, there seems it's, to be a, a great <laughs> irony there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they require AI. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that seems um yeah, bit Elon's amazing. So you know yeah. he's he's um he should probably just take a moment and think about his logic structure. <laughs> but you exactly. know I'm not the one to give advice <laughs> to Elon Musk. He's doing fine. Yeah. Um, clearly he has a. If he'd just explain it to all, to yeah, all of exactly. us, we'd love to hear it. And then just uh, on the one laptop per child project, are there any things that you did there or saw there that are analogous to what you're trying to do here? Rather than 10x. Ultimately, a thousand x. Although our first products in terms of won't, the cost won't be a thousand, our first products will not be a thousand x. It takes scale for yeah. that, and because of clinical trials, FDA safety, it will take longer single digit digit numbers of years. Yeah. I hope that single digit is smaller rather than larger. But yes, less than ten years, we can we can get there, leveraging the consumer electronics existing supply chain and the regulation to hit scale. It may not be in the U.S. The United States is absolutely not the healthcare system that's not the most open to innovation in the world for all kinds of reasons. You would think, given that it is thoroughly capitalist, that it would be. Given that the other systems are socialist or, you know, kind of... Well, hospitals, they're making 80% gross margin on MRI scanners. I've had heads of hospitals in suburban areas saying their hospital will go out of business if open water succeeds. Because the only way they make profit is on the medical imaging scans. That's why they're so expensive. 
I suggest to them they're doing their accounting wrong. It is the way, okay, Eric Topol just wrote this fantastic book. If you don't know what he is, who he is, if you don't know who he is, follow him on Twitter. He wrote this fantastic book, very famous cardiologist, used to be at Cleveland Clinic, Mm -hmm. now is, I don't know, in San Diego or something. T-O-P-O-L. Okay. Um, And he says, look, he's advocating for more doctor-patient time. He thinks medical imaging is overused. That's why healthcare is so expensive. Actually, it's profit margins. But so he then his own data because he's a really good footnoter. Half yeah. of the book is footnotes. Yeah. <laughs> Very well documented. And yeah. the first three minutes of a doctor meeting with a patient, if they can diagnose what the patient has by looking at them, they are correct ninety percent of the time. Interesting. If it takes longer than three minutes, they're correct twenty-five percent of the time. If it requires a second opinion. The second opinion correlates with the first opinion, Dr. 1 to Dr. Mm. 2, 12% of the time. The way we can make a decision, sure, like if you are, you know, spitting up blood and with, yeah. you know, green hair, whatever, like, yes, it's this. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the reality is I suffered, so many people suffer because symptoms are vague. If you've got these five symptoms, 80% of the time it's one of these three or four things, and if it's not, it's one of a million things. They don't know. Yeah. So people suffer. And the second opinion doesn't correlate with the first opinion because we don't have data. So why does the doctor looking or talking to the patient longer uncover that? Why are we opposed to data? We do with blood tests. And yeah. if we could say overuse of looking inside of the body, let's just get rid of that blood pressure cuff because it might have false positives. And oh, let's just forget taking your temperature as well. Right. And, you know, I have a smartwatch. Let's just get rid of knowing my heartbeat. Like, Mm -hmm. really, the reason they're doing that is because of the cost structure. And the cost structure is one imposed by the hospitals and the three companies that basically have a monopoly. They pulled all the patents together to make MRI machines. I mean, it's an amazing technology. It saved my life. But the prices are the same as in 1995. (laughs) It's 25 years. People are dying. Why don't we leapfrog the technology with the tools of our time? We want to see inside of our bodies to understand disease progression so people don't have to die of what they get. They can ca- we can catch everything early if we combine that with genetics, blood, and, and better medical imaging. Yeah. That's cheaper. And then what that does is slash the need for brick-and-mortar hospitals. Right. So yeah, we're talking about taking out the hospitals. So why do it in a place like San Francisco? There's great hospitals, there's rich yeah. people. You know, What does an engineer make here? Fine, for the engineers. The non-engineers, huge problem, right? Yeah. So instead, why don't we take a place that doesn't have hospitals or really needs them? You know, There's a lot of places in the world. So it seems a lot like it's like the global middle class. I talked to the head of a Latin American country group of hospitals, and he told me, the death rate due to cancer in that country is three times that of the United States. And he believes, the head of this whole mm. hospital group for a country believes it's for one reason, that medical imaging is too expensive. Right. And so the future belongs to those who want it. And as part of that bargain, we may, oh, it sounds like we will get the kind of the hive mind. Yeah, we want, individ- I mean, will it be a hive? Yeah, well, connect. Is that a hive mind? I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Because isn't I mean, that there's the queen bee and the drones and right. sort of taking that? Oh, I don't, like, 
we're all creative in different ways. I wonder if language goes away, ultimately. There's this great beauty to language. Mm. You know, there's also sitting down and writing or sitting down and drawing or sitting down and making music lets you fine-tune yeah. your thoughts with this feedback of, of, of how but it looks. Maybe talking will become like the horse and carriage. Because we can communicate at yeah. light speed, like the whole thought, before you get interrupted. Exactly. Because it really is single track right now. Right. So speaking will be old school. I, I do believe most people think this is really far away, and I think it's a single-digit number of years away. And I think no one will believe me for a while. Mm. But as you keep, no one will be, certain people do believe me and come and join the effort, which is one of the reasons I talk about it. But I also think there's this ethical requirement to talk about it to figure out what the right thing to do is. Yeah, because this is, I mean, this is bigger than, obviously bigger than the telephone, bigger than the computer, bigger than the car. This is, it's kind of gets to the nature of humanity. I, yeah, well, maybe. I mean, I think it's pretty big when we're able to do it. But a neuroscientist will tell you, we don't even know what a thought is. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, okay, I believe you. Right? How the neuro- we don't know how. Paul Allen, um, yep. the co-founder of, yep. of Microsoft, who died uh, last fall, used to tell me, like, look, there's five Nobel Prizes just to understand how a neuron works, and you think you're going to enable brain-computer interfaces, ignoring it. Just, and I'm like, yeah. you know, like, you, Paul Allen put his money where his mouth is, founded the Allen Institute mm-hmm. for the Brain. They do fabulous work, go to their website, they open-source most of it, they talk about what they do. Yeah. They, they're trying to go bottoms up, and we're going top-down. And I think we can meet them in the middle. There's a lot of people working on a lot of different approaches to this, and it's pretty hard to imagine they're not going to mix and match and explode beyond those grainy images we see with fMRI to something much better more quickly. Now, yeah. a good friend of mine sent me this paper last summer about people using typical neuroscience approaches to figure out how a computer chip worked. And that computer chip was dedicated, was, had, was loaded in with software mm-hmm. to drive the video game Donkey Kong. Yep. Classic. And so they zapped classic game, right? They zapped a transistor at a time, and guess what? They couldn't figure out how Donkey Kong worked. And they said, you know, neuros- the, the, the way neuroscience is working doesn't even allow us to decode how a much less complex chip works. So it's way too hard. Right. And like, great. Because they had no hierarchical understanding of what did what on the chip. We have some hierarchical understanding of how the brain works. We know where the speech center is. We know where right. the motor center is. We know where different. We know where the, the the processing of visual information is in the back. And we know you know different things. And we're learning more about that. And so as we apply that hierarchy to understanding the neurons, we can get further. But with existing fMRI for ten years. In universities all around the world, we've been able to decode grainy versions of images, words, mm. music, dreams, whether they're in love or not, and so forth, for a decade. And so making that to be something you can wear for thousands of hours yep. with the breakthroughs in machine learning and AI and um, deep learning with backpropagation, it's it's pretty hard to take the side of more data 
with better AI tools is going to give us worse images? (laughs) No, much better with higher resolution, which our systems enable. And then combining that with enormous work being done on this globally. The train's leaving the station. And, you know, someone will get those Nobel Prizes mm-hmm. for figuring out how the neuron works, I'm sure. But Maybe you'll be my maybe, first Nobel Prize winner on the no, podcast. No, 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 we're not working on the neuron. <laughs> neuron. No, that'll be somebody else. We're doing the math. We're not in that thing. Um, but Paul Allen's, you know, folk, the Allen is, maybe the Allen's, or whoever's working on how the neuron works. Mm-hmm. Totally important thing. How do neurons work? Most people can use computers. They don't know how. I happen to know how they work. I've designed them. But most people just use them. There could be little green men inside of the computer. You use it, it reacts, it it, it works. It, it, as important as it is to understand how it works, without understanding how it works, with just looking at oxygen use, we already can infer so much. So if we get more data at higher resolution, with more hierarchical differentiation and understanding of the brain from all the people working on it, we will get better yeah. images and words. And this could be profoundly helpful for people that weren't within two hours of a CT scanner when they had yeah. a stroke, yeah. like my grandfather, because it was before CT mm-hmm. scanners existed. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, they can't speak. People have lock-in. People can't speak. There's, those are brain diseases, too. We can enable and help those mm. people first. But... And we're not the only things with brains on the planet, too. I mean, to the extreme, we might stop eating them and start collaborating with them. Or at least, you know, it's sort of a joke around open water, but the biggest moneymaker of them all, I think people would pay anything to talk to their pets. Anything. Totally. This that is your killer app. I'm doing. I've and done a whole. Even I've just that done, much ethics there. <laughs> I know. I've done a whole thing about dogs and how dogs are treated here and everything else. But <laughs> yeah, I talked to somebody who spent a hundred grand to clone their his two poodles. Um, <laughs> wow. True. It's wild. But if you people are willing to spend, I mean, obviously that's a unique case. People are cloning dogs, etc. People would pay a lot of money to be able to actually communicate truly with their pets. Yeah. Does your dog love you or is it hungry? (laughs) It's probably both. (laughs) Probably both. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been really fun to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you. I want to thank Mary Lou for taking the time to sit down. I just find this area completely riveting. And even if a fraction of what she says comes true and the time she says it is, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Anyhow, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, we'll be back next week with not one but two episodes before the Christmas break. And I'm also writing, as, I, as ever, in the Sunday Times this weekend. You can find me online at thetimes.co.uk on Twitter at Danny Fortson. Or you can email me at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That's all, folks. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.